Welcome to Supply Chain Next with your host, Richard Donaldson. Join us as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges professionals face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. I am thrilled here today to have uh, two gentlemen co-founders, uh, Pawan Gupta and Abhishek Sharma. I hope they've got both of those right. And uh, got you guys on video here. I know you guys are in the same office. I can tell at least by the girders in the background, but otherwise <laughs> no one else will be able to know. But uh, good afternoon, good evening to both of you. Uh, thank you, Richard, for having us. A a absolutely, and I know we've got, uh, so it's gonna be the three of us here today. We're gonna be chatting, we're really looking forward to it. But first of all, I just wanna get confirmation from both of you guys. You guys are both in, in, in India, in the same office. Just tell me where you guys are at currently. Right now we're in this city called Gurgaon near New Delhi in India. Okay, and what time is it yeah. just in case? Cause it looks, it looks dark there. So I just wanna make sure. <laughs> it's close to 8 p.m. Okay, it's 8 p.m. It's not too bad. Okay, but you guys are just both in your, yeah, well listen, bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to I want to jump right into it. Get into both of your guys' stories, um, both how you kind of got together, um, some exciting stuff you guys are doing with Fashionista. Um, so you know, get into kind of where you're going with the company. But first and foremost, let me start with Paul Wan. Um, you know, people love to hear a little bit about how you got involved with where you're at. A little bit of an origin story. So you know, who is Paul Wan? How did you kind of get going? Uh, and then maybe that'll lead into how you met Abhishek. You know, and and kind of tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Sure, this is Pawan. And uh, so I grew up in a very small town in India, about like four hours from New Delhi. Mm -hmm. uh, and my father has spent almost like 40 years in manufacturing. I think like that's sort of like the origin story of how I got into this in the first place. But I think uh, like grew up in the manufacturing town, uh, not just my father, all of my friends, their families used to manufacture one thing or the other, like nothing fancy, but like almost like everything that you could think of. Uh, but pretty humble beginnings, uh, were, was very good in studies and decided to do engineering and then got into like, luckily, or I don't know how, but got into a really good college in India, IIT mm -hmm. Delhi to, uh, and that sort of like changed the journey that I went on. I think at IIT, just being with, uh, in the midst of so many ambitious people really fueled the desire to start something of my own. We could see so many of our uh, alumni who had built big companies like Flipkart in India. And I think that was super inspirational. Always decided to start up, did not have the money. So I ended up taking a job and investment banking for a couple of years. I was, I was there at Dutch Bank across Mumbai and London, spent a couple of years there, saved some money and then started up in healthcare called Curify. So mm -hmm. I was back in 2014, a 23-year-old with two of my friends started Curify. Uh, <clears throat> And I knew Abhishek, like I, Abhishek and I met in the college. So we were in the same dorm together, just a couple of years apart. And then uh, paths crossed again when he joined us at Curify to lead the product and tech. And that's how we like built a strong professional relationship as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we did pretty well at Curify, built a very strong network of doctors, something like a LinkedIn for doctors, and then also built a strong monetization from pharmaceuticals on top of it. Uh, the company got acquired by a Seattle-based company in 2017. Mm -hmm. Stayed with them for two more years as part of the lock-in, and then started Fashionza. I think we can get to Fashionza later on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there's lot lot to unpack in there, but and there's a connective tissue uh, to Abhishek. But but Pawan, you know, one of the things that strikes me right off the gun is 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 you know, manufacturing kind of is the provincial thing. A lot of manufacturing kind of things going on. 
but you found somehow found your way into development areas. Like where, where in your studies did you kind of get the, the, the inspirational bug that you wanted to drift into more startup-y type stuff? And then did you even think that you were going to get fall back into manufacturing or is that just kind of <laughs> how things happen? Yeah, I think uh, so. startup kind of thing. Uh, I don't know exactly what turned me, turned me to it, but I think one of the things that I saw was that I wanted to have an absolutely huge impact in whatever I did. Yeah. And uh, like that is something that I was absolutely sure about. Uh, the big, the biggest thing that I saw was that, I mean, I was studying in one of the top colleges of India, got some amazing education there. Uh, so if people like us did not try to change the way things work, then who would? So this is something that I really felt passionately about. Uh, I don't know how it came from, but it's just that once that thing came in, I just could not stop thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And that's when I continuously started thinking about like, how could I make an impact? whatever impact that I made bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think like just when I spent a couple of years in a job, I realized that to bring about a huge impact, to actually be able to get that freedom of building something, seeing a problem, solving it, building something, is some I needed to start it, start something on my own to have that kind of freedom and that kind of huge impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, manufacturing, I think like never thought about starting up in manufacturing, honestly. Uh, I mean. I went into healthcare and post-healthcare. It's just that, like, I mean, I spent so much time around manufacturers. Post-acquisition, got a lot of time to actually spend time in those factories. I mean, again, all of it was for hobby purpose. Just, like, it was always exciting. I mean, I don't know if you or your kids have ever done that, but, like, I used to watch all these documentaries on uh, Discovery Channel, National Geographic, of mega structures, how large factories operated. So like seeing something turn into something useful uh, was always very exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like when I started talking to Abhishek about what I was thinking, how it excited me, that is when sort of like our paths converged and we went into where the root of passions are. Well, that is that is perfect segue. Great handoff. <laughs> I can tell you guys have probably worked together, but Abhishek Pawan practically hands you the baton there to connect your kind of origin story there's obviously you guys ran into each other in college, but how about yourself? Like, I mean, you guys are from similar areas, right? Uh, have to have had similar paths to end up in the same place, but, but how about yourself? Did you, where, how did you start? What's your origin story? How did you kind of connect into Pawan here in college and how did you even get into the startup game? Yeah, uh, I think, uh, so I think as Pawan mentioned, if we definitely connected and uh, got interacted during our college days, but I think that my journey was also very similar uh, with Pawan. So I also come from a small town. Uh, my family is like a service background and never thought of like uh, doing a business myself. So chose engineering as a field and luckily to get one of the top institute in India, the same of the Pawan. And I was a senior also. So mm-hmm. that they actually then did us some interaction in our since our dome was same. But I think uh, one thing which I, I've seen it, I the town which I belong and brought up and did my schooling, that's a manufacturing hub. It's the, the, the name of the town is Jaipur, which is like a biggest hub for that uh, women's wear category. And I see so many of my friends, my uh, relatives are doing something here and there in their manufacturing space. So that thing was there in back in my mind always. 
are pretty much excited how the factory runs and all those things. Uh, but I think obviously uh, I did not start uh, with the business just after my college. I ended up doing a job with the, one of the first startup that is a Flipkart, which is actually a poster in the yep. startup world, which really excited me to actually do a startup some point of time in future for sure. But I think after spending a couple of years there, uh, I joined another startup, which is in a fashion e-commerce play. The company name is Limeroll, and they were building a fashion supply, so basically marketplace for fashion brands that time. So that time I really got an interaction, actually, and coming back to the same, my uh, town, I actually visited so many suppliers, so many factories uh, and manufacturing units, and saw that the kind of challenges they are doing it, or they are facing it. So that really excited me. And then we, I always have that back in my mind that I think manufacturing and fashion space is something very big. And uh, when actually Pawan and I was started thinking to start again, uh, given that my background and some understanding and fashion and manufacturing space, we chose it to do it this together. Nice, nice. Well, I mean, it's 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 a fabulous story, uh, and and certainly I see a lot of similarities here. And birds of a feather kind of flock together. So whether you guys <laughs> intended it or not, destiny kind of brought you two together. But here's an interesting question because both of you guys are remarking about. I'm not going to say like second, third generation here of sort of the the Indian startup community, right? But there's you guys are you guys are sort of relatively young, right? I can see that, right? Uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, I think Pawan had the 30 under 30 or something like that or whatever those things are. But but regardless- no, Five years back. Okay, five years back. I mean, still, still, you guys both have useful exuberance. So, um, but where I'm headed with this is, you know, just recently, for example, uh, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, just overtook Bezos as the number two richest guy in the world from India, right? Uh, I believe. And where I'm in my world, I used to, I was 25 years in Silicon Valley, you know, kind of saw a lot of the cross pollination between India and say Silicon Valley, but India is taking its own footing. Now you guys are maybe the third or fourth generation of startup people. And, you know, one of the things that jumps right out at me is you're both still in India. Clearly the startup scene there is way more mature than it was 30 or 40 years ago. So for a moment, just, Kind of reflect a little bit on how things have changed now from your both your perspectives. And I'll start with Palwan as you know, being developers and startup people, but in India, you know, 40 years ago, I think the instincts were to like, oh, I need to go be in Silicon Valley and be associated with that. I don't think that's the same anymore. I think India's kind of got its, I mean, you know, it's got its own foundation, it's building its own stuff. It's, you know, like Flipkart and all these other amazing examples. So as the young emerging startup entrepreneurs and people kind of even, you know, getting your own footing now, how do you reflect on, on what it's like to be a startup person in India today versus say 30 or 40 years ago? I'll start with Paul on that. Sure. I think you you don't even need to go 30 or 40 years back, even like 10 or 15 years back. The First priority for anyone, like 30 or 40 years back, first priority for everyone was to just get a government job. Right. Just like, okay, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, get as stable a job as possible. Obviously, there were a few exceptions, and some of them have ended up become, becoming really big. I mean, so the first wave of real, I would not even call them tech startup, but more like IT startups, the outsourcing mm -hmm. wave came in about 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, that is when multiple IT outsourcing companies started. And some of them are like the biggest companies in India now. 
or close to like more than hundred billion dollars of valuations. But those companies sort of like gave opportunities to young graduates to become sort of technocrats. A lot of them, huge quantity of them, actually went on to join new startups or even mm-hmm. larger companies in Silicon Valley or even across the U.S. And then some of them came back. Some of them inspired some other people in India to start the second generation of startups, which I would call this Flipkart generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, even till then, uh, till that point of time, I think uh, the first. So although it moved from government job to getting a private job, but even in private jobs, people wanted to actually go outside of India. So like if somebody got a job in, I don't know, a big company in the US, it was sort of like a no-brainer. Like so many of my friends actually went and joined Google, Facebook, Amazon, whatnot. Uh, The de facto choice was actually just to go go that route. Mm -hmm. I think like now the things have absolutely changed. the amount of talent that you see in India, the amount of opportunities that uh, have come up, and the fact that confidence of the people uh, in India, the young graduates in India, the technocrats in India, is absolutely boosted. I mean, they feel that they can actually create something of their own. They can get all the opportunities that U.S. would provide, but back home in India, and at the same time, in fact, actually get bigger opportunities here in India. I mean, for somebody, let's say, from a young graduate from India going to the U.S. Uh, on a visa, on an H-1B or L-1, just figuring that visa stuff out, just never gives them an opportunity to flex their wings and maybe start up on their own. Mm-hmm. While being back in, back in India, where they have all the support system in place, uh, it's actually much easier for them to take that amount of risk and actually start something on their own. And this amount of flexibility is actually convince so many of these people, given so many people the confidence to actually stay back, get some experience working in a few startups or any other places, and then maybe dream to start something of their own. Now, just like so many people, uh, in fact, like, I mean, we used to joke that uh, the only people now we know nowadays are people who work in startups or have their own startups. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's, but that alone has to be a very profound shift like you said culturally right there's there's an independence and a uh um you know again that entrepreneurial spirit right that that is almost uniquely indian in a way right because one of the things that i think again as i look at the the globe and it's changing over the next 20 or 30 or 40 years i mean let's face it india is a powerhouse it always has been Right. Um, but it's it just feels like now it's it's attaining some of that independence of its own market. Very different, say, than China. Right. I mean, China's got just a whole different cultural kind of thing going on. And I'm not saying it's any more or less entrepreneurial, but it's very different. Right. And right. India, I think, has got a, an independence streak to it that lends itself to entrepreneurialism that really the country is going to be way different over the next 20, 30, or 40 years for the reasons you're bringing up. The generations you and below are going to be a whole different global player than they were historically. Is that, I mean? No, no, absolutely. And I think like one of the, even the other different changes that I have seen happening, and I see that in ourselves and with Fashions as well, that the first crop of startups which started with Flipkart, uh, most of these were taking inspirations from companies which had become successful in the US. Right. And I think now because the markets have matured here, the investments are there and people have more confidence, they're actually now going after models which are pretty much India first. Like, right. for example, 
something like Vashanza, like we are able to see uh, this model, we are able to see this idea because we are close to manufacturing. It's very difficult from, for somebody sitting in the US to actually be able to just even think about this problem and then go about executing on this. So I think now we are seeing the real way, which I like to call it, is where India first companies, India first models are actually going to come and then go global. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, let's face it, when you've got darn near close to one quarter of the world's population in the country, <laughs> right? That gives you a competitive advantage that you should be focused <laughs> on, for goodness sakes, right? I mean, sheesh. Absolutely. So, Abhishek, let me, let, me, let me kick over to you because Pawan kind of went through it. But, but how about from your perspective as well, too? I mean, you know, and again, the question's really kind of on, you know, your observations as a, as a younger startup person in India. It is different now. I mean, there is a, there's a shift going on. How do you see that playing out from your perspective? I think first and foremost, and very critical from my perspective, I still remember when I joined Flipkart fresh out of the college. And Flipkart back in that time is like a very young startup. So... But Flipkart's only to be to, to set the level straight. Flipkart's only about I think 12, 13 years old. I mean, it's not that old of a right. I mean, ish twelve, okay. I think. Yeah. So I was there. I joined it in around ten. So almost like <laughs> I said that time that they were actually building up. And I think lots of people questioned me and asked me the same question: Why you are joining a Flipkart after doing so great study from the top engineering college from India? And I didn't forget about the people. My parents also asked questioning me. Right. <laughs> right. Your parents are like, you're nuts, man. You got a great job. Why are you going off and being doing risk stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Go right. for a government job or there's like a, some IT service which is working for the, some US-based company. Why don't you just go for that? You get the option to go to the US, et cetera, et cetera. That now has changed a lot. Now people actually respect when you are actually uh, working in a startup and it's like a becoming becoming in terms of I think so many things happened, so many successful stories came, but now I think the family member, the parents realize the value of that. People have made the money, people have become a famous, and people actually created an impact also. So mm-hmm. that is something. So for example, Flipkart, now my parents are actually buying from Flipkart, so they understand, oh. understand the value that the startup ecosystem can bring in. So I think that's a definitely the mindset change. And I think coming back to the, the Pawan's point, I think lots of Information exchange happens so frequently because of people are moving from US to India back. Internet internet happens that actually allows to share the get the information. And those things really help us to actually think what actually US have done it 30, 20 years ago. Now we actually fast forwarding in terms of the startup ecosystem here. Gotcha. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And let me then kind of pick up on that a little bit. Stay, stay with you, Abhishek, on this. So Tell me a little bit then about, so you've kind of got this you know, transition going on. You guys are you know, generationally kind of bringing, bringing you know, startups, more of that startup fever, but India first, which is amazing. So how did that lead into then you and Paul Wan discussing the formation of Fashinza, right? I mean, what you guys are working on now. How, was that even in your, where did that inspiration come from? And Abhishek, I'm kind of coming at you on this one first. I'm going to come back to Pawan on it. But, you know, how do you remember that origin story? And, and you know, did you even imagine you get into fashion, supply chain stuff? But how about the origin story between you, how you guys got the, the idea going for what you're working on? Yeah. So I, I come from a fashion, uh, oh. e-commerce fashion background. So that was there always back in my mind. At the same time, since I've seen that industry and that industry is so 
unstructured, unorganized, it's very tough to crack this market. So always in the thought, like, let's not get into that. It's a very, very tough problem. But I still remember when me and Pawan were discussing about our next startup or the ideas when actually working upon a couple of other ideas also. Uh, we discussed about this also. And one thing really excited us, one thing which is really we got like, let's do it or let's solve it is mm -hmm. basically building manufacturing out of India is something we always look forward. I think how we can make, make in India successful. For mm -hmm. give you example, so as Pawan mentioned earlier that I think we always, as an Indian startup 30 years back, or Indian founders always known as like a IT service or back offices. Then oh. it, next generation came as like a product companies which actually gone out of India. But when we're starting this, I think we actually thought like, can we make a manufacturing as a service out of India or not? So that was like a whole thought where actually we started going into deep. And then we made a trip to my hometown, which is Jaipur. And okay. that's actually changed the mind. I think this is definitely we should tap into that. So we, we, uh, we visited one of my friend's factory or the manufacturing unit where actually he was running some production. And mm -hmm. I saw that the kind of opportunity we can bring it by improving the supply chain altogether, whether it's a digitization of the supply chain, whether it's a, a building a proper backend or forward supply chain, all those can be done and can be improved the efficiency of the factory drastically. So that's how we evolved, like let's build something around that and solve for the, uh, the brands globally. Gotcha. Well, that's, and again, Pawan, and you know, you guys are obviously spent some time together here and Abhishek kind of tease you up as well. But from your perspective, he kind of gives a little bit of the Fashinza, right? And I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, kind of startup origin story. But from your perspective, you know, again, how did you kind of fall into this, right? I mean, it's, it's what both you guys have kind of similar characteristics, right? The, the, the entrepreneurial zeal, kind of small towns, kind of somewhat next generational India first kind of focus on startups building platforms. But again, it's not maybe intuitive to immediately go, oh, I'm going to get into global fashion and then, you know, uh, build a platform. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the value proposition or problem you're trying to address with what you're focused on right now. And was that obvious at the beginning or, you know, have you kind of modified that a little bit as you've gotten to market with some of the stuff you're doing? Right. I think like, I mean, obviously a lot has changed since we started it. Okay. Uh, for me as well, a lot. I was super excited about like, how do we help these small manufacturers access the global markets? Okay. Because most of the demand that these guys were getting was through a middleman or through subcontracting work from large factories or layer of middlemen in the middle where these factories would end up like doing obviously the lot, most of the work, but it then ended up making the least of the margins right. or least of the money while they were providing employment to hundreds of folks. So I think, uh, and obviously there's always this challenge of providing zero transparency. And then you might be a large retailer or a brand, but then you're always questioning where your products are getting manufactured. Are they getting manufactured in a sweatshop? Are they getting manufactured where you intended them to be? And it's like so many, and because of this entire issues with transparency, there's always ethical challenges in this supply chain. And I think like once we started going deeper into the challenges of this supply chain, the problems of this supply chain, we just kept on getting more and more excited and how technology could actually help solve almost like 99% of the problems, if not 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
the technology could not just solve the challenges of working directly between the supplier and the buyer, but actually some of the challenges around, let's say, overproduction, wastage mm-hmm. in the supply chain, the efficiency, mm-hmm. uh, worker productivity, helping these workers make more money, these small manufacturers expand themselves. And I think this is this was actually the turning point for us. I think uh, that's when we thought that looks like a great problem to solve, looks like something that we'd enjoy doing. It's high impact. Let's do it. And I think once we obviously started getting into uh, the operation, started executing, we realized the amount of challenges that we had to face and we saw the amount of opportunities that uh, we actually, uh, I mean, there was like probably 20 opportunities that we could foresee within our first month itself. Right. So it took us some time to understand the industry, learn from it, and really narrow down to the exact problems that we wanted to solve. Uh, we only started with solving the manufacturing piece, just like helping these small manufacturers become more efficient and come at a level so that they can actually work with the biggest and the most uh, biggest brands of the world. So like, for example, one of our factories actually produces goods for a very, very large retailer in the US, which they mm-hmm. had never done in the past. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they are only quite catered to small domestic demand and which allows them to scale up. I mean, they have scaled up probably what, 5X with us now mm-hmm. over the past 18 months. And this is the kind of uh, opportunities that we start, started seeing when we went to the execution part. And so, yeah, so we first started solving for the digitizational factory and helping them work directly with the brand uh, with their better efficiency, better throughput, faster turnarounds. And now uh, in the past six months, we've actually started solving the design piece as well. So mm-hmm. giving right data analytics to the brands on what is going to trend in the next one one month, what is already trending on social media, on different websites, so that you can actually go to the market with the products that are going to sell. Uh, and it addresses a very huge problem of inventory liquidation and wastage in this supply chain in the industry. So now as a brand, you can use our data analytics, you can do design on top of it or choose our own design, go to the market with the right set of designs which are going to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, so so there's a lot lot to unpack in there because there's a yeah. lot of things going on and we're dealing with the global supply chain. So let me let me tighten it down for a second sure. here because so Fashinza is is a platform, and if I'm hearing correctly too, just to again sort of articulate this, on one side of the equation you're connecting small independent manufacturing manufacturers right to your platform which in turn is connecting to potentially buyers who are interested in outsourcing and using said manufacturers, right? right? So that's that's a huge, huge, I mean, that's like the, you're connecting all the small to mid-sized manufacturers globally on a singular platform. And But to do specifically what? Because there's a lot of order processing that's in there. You talk about demand signals, um, you know, so what specifically are you focused on? Because there's a lot of digital twinning underneath this, right? There's a lot of buzzwords that run around. So how do you take right. someone like, you know, like me, I always like to say, if I can't explain what I'm doing to a five-year-old, I'm not explaining it well enough. So let me ask sure. you that five-year-old question. What do you guys do and how do you do it very succinctly? Sure. So if you are a fashion brand, mm-hmm. Fashions are helps you, number one, design, design products based on what is trending, what you should launch in the stores so that the product sells. Yep. and you're not left with inventory. And then uh, once the design is done, once the design is selected, we also help you get those products manufactured 
from factories in India and Bangladesh. Got it. Got it. So that, yeah. okay, perfect. So on that side, then you kind of are also working on the demand signals, which is probably the bane of all forecasters existence in the world of supply chain, right? Trying right. to figure out what's the new thing. You know, if, if, if the Kardashians launch something, you guys are on it, and this is the new thing you need to, oh yeah, I mean, right? I mean, who knows where it comes from, right? It could be anything, Absolutely. right? It could be the Dollar Shave Club. It could be uh, some like brand that lights on fire, like Liquid Death here, the water company in the United States. Um, any of those types of things that are sort of spontaneously combustible brand elements that just you know explode in the market. Okay, so you've got that demand signal coming, but then you're also... Interesting enough, connecting to the back-end manufacturing facilities capabilities, right? Because that's that's a problem onto itself, right? I mean, you got two major things that you're tackling. The demand signals on the one side, but then also on the manufacturing side, who's got the capabilities, the resources, and bandwidth, literally, to manufacture what I see as the demand signal. So let me double-click on that. How do you work with the manufacturers to kind of digitally twin their manufacturing facilities? Right. So on the manufacturing side, so if you imagine a very, very large manufacturer, <clears throat> they would be using, let's say, an SAP or an Oracle to manage their entire workflows, to manage their consumptions, everything. And let me, and let me go, them- sorry, I don't want to go too fast because you're going to go over something which I think is incredibly key for here. So, and you said it, SAP and Oracle, right? There's two legacy systems that literally dominate the supply chain world, Right. SAP is probably the Leviathan, that's the 80,000-pound gorilla. Oracle kind of nips at their heels, but is always kind of in a distant second, but always there. But I'm also going to say, let me ask the question, in your experience now finding that, knowing that, right, that's also the mark of huge displacement opportunity, because the dissatisfaction of SAP is so great. (laughs) I've, I've never met anybody who actually, you know, short of SAP themselves, and I'm not trying to trash on them, but that actually... It's kind of there because it's there. It's not there because it actually works all that well. Everyone wants to replace it. And it's usually a pretty hokey system that was a financial system that tried to be through chewing gum and duct tape and, you know, whatever, turned into a supply chain, you know, enterprise resource planning system, but never really did it well, right? Is that, I mean, that's also kind of part of what you look for. It's almost like, oh, you got SAP? I can help you. Absolutely. And I think like, and so... SAP and Oracle pretty much dominate the space. Every large manufacturer uses them. And uh, it and like you said, like people just use it because it's there. It's right. not like they're driving actionables for those factories to really make an impact, to really take decisions in real time. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we saw. And I think like going ahead, we decided once we decided to focus on the small factories, we realized that there's actually no SAP for the small factories. Right. The SAP is meant for large factories. For us, the small factories, it's a whiteboard. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so literally a whiteboard, was, right? Or a post-it note or exactly. a piece of paper or something, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think like this is this is what we saw and realized that if we could create a very simple to use solution that works for the small factories, mm-hmm. we can actually drive a lot more efficiency. They're already more, more cost effective than bigger factories. Mm-hmm. And if we gave them such a solution, they would actually be even more efficient and more uh, better on quality than the large, these large factories. So just giving them that competitive edge to be able to compete with them in the la- uh, in the global world. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how we started thinking about it. 
and then we sat inside the factories we figured out like what is it that we need to build to digitize those factories how do we digitize their workflows how do we digitize their inventory planning their production planning everything and we started building a very easy to use mobile based solutions oh cool uh, yeah yeah and like just by entering some basic data data uh and which is also integrated into their existing workflows they get mm-hmm. real time analysis of what's going on in their factories what are the throughput like what are the quality parameters like if their quality is going bad what is the reason their quality is going bad probably mm-hmm. there's uh there's loose stitches on one line so you can actually go and fix it in the real time rather than wait for a week's report right. so this is how we started helping these factories with the right data to fix the right things in real time Gotcha. And Abhishek, let me let me swing back over to you because the now, you know, Pawan kind of opens up that door into, you know, two two major sets of problems that you're trying to connect, right? On the demand side, you're still kind of like, hey, what are the signals? What's new? What's hip? What's coming down the pipe? But then when you get into the manufacturing and, and you're starting at the very foundational layer, right? Connecting the manufacturers, because now you're getting into not only optimizing their manufacturing facility, their throughputs, errors, right, loss, you know, everything else that we talk about there. But now you can begin to also see once you kind of get control of that, even some of the ESG things, the environmental, the safety, even the the kind of reuse, the circular kind of nature of things. So the question is, as you've kind of gotten into manufacturers now, what are the things that are sort of aha moments where you're like, okay, yeah, I knew this was going to be a mess and everything was on a whiteboard. But now that I'm in it and beginning to see more and more opportunity, what are you discovering, right? That's further optimization or connectives that you can help them even get, you know, more integrated into the global economy or the hundred trillion dollar economy. Yeah, I think first of all, I think when we started that the entire technology piece, we started to give up entire transparency and visibility, mm-hmm. which actually not there at all in this in this supply chain. For example, if I'm a bigger, like a large brand, and if I'm manufacturing in India with one of the largest supplier, I'm not sure where actually the manufacturing, actual manufacturing happening. Most mm-hmm. of the time, the manufacturing happens on like a very small factory or like one of the very uh, mom and pop shop kind of factory there, which actually the brands are thinking that I gave an order to the large factory, which is everything is compliant, which is not a true where actually manufacturing is happening. So by putting that uh, the technology, that uh, that ERP system which we have built it, we know it where actually manufacturing is getting happen, which mm-hmm. is giving a good comfort not only to us also but our clients. Mm-hmm. That that means that actual if the this product is produced getting should get produced by that some of the compliant factory which is actually getting produced by the same compliant factory only. So mm-hmm. that was like a, one of the aha moment we also got it. But I think as we go more deep and understood. Uh, the kind of opportunity to bring to bring the sustainability around that, and this sustainability is definitely is very big and vague term. So I think just want to uh, divide into three parts, which is like a product, people, and planet. Mm-hmm. So I think these are the three P's we and we think of when we actually think talk about the sustainability. So in terms of the product or the wastage, as Pawan mentioned, we already driving some of the efficiency where actually the consumption of the fabric are improving. So mm-hmm. rather than like getting us five to ten percent of the wastage earlier, now that wastage is getting reduced, which actually direct impacting the planet in terms of the waste reduction and etc. Other thing which I think rightly mentioned, I think we are not doing yet, but we know that we can actually build a circular economy on top of the our supply chain because we are 
having a control on the entire entire supply chain is controlled by the technology. So if we just so for example, if that product is, I'm wearing this shirt and I know that this shirt uh, is made uh, since I have a complete transparency and visibility on the supply chain, I know that this shirt is made from which factory and what kind of fabric consumption are there. So if I want to reuse those fabric or the trims, that can be done easily using our software. So that gotcha. kind of circular economy also we can build. We are not there yet, but I think that's definitely the plan in future. Well, and 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 uh, it's be, uh, <laughs> both both you got both both y'all right. First of all, the the rush to get things done is always going to be there, right? So patience is part of startup land, right? Because you're <laughs> you're already thinking a gazillion things ahead of most people, and you're touching on some really cool things. But I don't want I don't want to overlook it. I think you said something really cool here, uh, Abhishek, and that's that's the three P's: people, planet, product. Right? I really like that. Very succinct. The three Ps that you're focused on, especially with supply chain, right? So we're talking about people here in the manufacturing and ensuring that you know people are protected as you know participants in the supply chain. They're not being abused. It's not like you know child labor kind of stuff, right? So you know the people themselves have to benefit from this whole thing. The product obviously has to you know be good and transparent and all the things that you're talking about. And then of course the planet when we start talking about resources um, and 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 becoming more circular. Right versus using a lot of virgin materials and pulling stuff out of the earth. You know, we've got the hundred trillion dollar economy fueled by the hundred gigatons of stuff that we pull out of the ground every year. That's all stuff that I've written about, but but, but we'll get to that. So so, but let me let me double click though on 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 the things here that I think a lot of people don't realize, but you guys are seeing that, and that's that's just the pure wastage, right? Let's so the people we've talked about, you've connected on that. You know, you want to make sure that everyone's you know being treated fairly and you know being de- decent wages, not being abused. Let's talk about some of the things that you're observing even in fashion. I don't think most people realize how much waste exists in fashion, Abhishek, right? And that's probably one of the more startling things that I'm sure you guys are even discovering, right? It's just forget any of the innovations you're talking about. Like there's a huge percentage of waste that just occurs naturally in the way things are done today. What what is some of that stuff that's a little bit, you know, almost almost eye-opening for people, right? That they don't realize when they put on a shirt and it's like, oh my God. You know, there's probably, I'm not going to say it, but there's a big percentage of waste that goes behind this that you wouldn't think about that you guys are also discovering. What What is some of those things that startle people a little bit, or even yourself, Abhishek? Uh, I think the first thing, and we are quite surprised that we, our client are fashion brands, and we actually understood there are two big problems. The two big problems for the fashion brands are like a inventory of the yeah. product which are not getting sell at the same time, out of stock problem which are getting sell like very two interesting problem the people the product which are getting good seller or becoming a best seller they are not able to find the stock for that right and the second problem that the thing which are not getting selling or getting sold they like they have a very dead stock or inventory for that right. that actually not only hitting the brand pnl but actually impacting that uh, the huge wastage which you talked about so i think when we started and i think the entire uh, supply chain optimization, our key thesis is how we can make brand inventory less. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not possible when I say that, but I think, can we move in that direction? And yeah. that's that's the success we actually want to drive it through our supply chain optimization. For a giving example, uh, the old design piece, which we are doing it, uh, like giving a getting a good signals, what actually going to sell in the market in terms of the trends, the whole objective of that is the product which we are producing that should sell it 100% and full price. 
that mm-hmm. is a success for us and that is success mm-hmm. for brands also so they should be able to sell it without any wastage and that's the one key focus areas for our like our supply chain uh, value proposition gotcha. the other thing we are actually doing and thinking of how we can actually reduce the waste at the factory side also mm-hmm. so not only like i think uh, so earlier the brands are doing a, like a tens of thousands of production together now we are saying like why don't you do a low moq first and then try out whether mm-hmm. like products are going to sell or not so those mm-hmm. experimentals also because we work with a small factory we can do low moq and low minimum that is something we also driving through our supply chain uh, platform gotcha that makes sense and abhishek and it's a good kickback to pawan it's sort of a similar question pawan but you know what, from your perspective and and because you guys have to talk about this whether you're fundraising or just telling people the story of you know kind of what you guys are doing but again i think it's shocking to find for a lot of people that there's so much waste especially even in the garment fashion world right um and circularity is a big deal esg is a big deal you know so and and, and you know and, and even just digitally twinning right if i find even when you go through and you do asset reconciliations most people don't even realize how much stuff they have how much is actually being wasted and once they see it it's like oh my god we got to solve this right so again I'm, the question's kind of little to you like what's some of the things that shock people a little bit about kind of the waste that goes on currently that you're already seeing that has the opportunity to be fixed because of the way you're connecting everything up i mean let me start with one number so if a brand produces 100 pieces only 40 pieces maybe 50 actually get sold at the retail price maybe 20 pieces get sold at some discount the rest of the 30 to 40 pieces are just sold at throwaway prices or just liquidated out in the market or go straight to the landfill oh my god so effectively 30 to 40% of the production should honestly not have been made at all right right which which when you take right. it at a, at a at a macro level if i'm looking at the fashion world and saying you're a subdivision of the 100 trillion dollar global economy and maybe fashion i'm just going to pick a number is 5% that's a 5 trillion dollar 10 trillion dollar whatever number you want to put on that right 40% immediately in that number is waste absolutely absolutely wow. and i'm not even i'm not even counting about the waste that people buy and then never purchase sure, sure. it's just that nobody would have mind like it could have been great for everyone not to produce anything <laughs> from there right. so and this is a staggering number yes. and it just like still boggles my mind and i think abhishek touched upon it it upon a bit that uh, we now call, tell our customers why don't you start with a small quantity see what works and then we'll give you bigger quantity and we'll give you fast so that you're not going out of stock mm-hmm. but don't waste your money uh, just like producing 10000 pieces of a design you have no idea is going to sell or not right 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 which goes right to so 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 let me pick up on that a little bit so now now it's just you know in one sense it's like you're you're just initially laying the foundation to provide insight into the supply chain right by connecting manufacturers and connecting the demand signals that's almost like step zero right 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 because if you can't do that all the other optimization things that people want to do will never happen and it's a messy 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 world that still needs to be connected and is going to take some time and i kind of go back to the patience thing you want to you want to sprint really fast to the conclusion but if you don't build this foundation right you'll then you'll lose it be, it makes all the data murky right it makes all the information 
you know, far less clear and precise. And we're going to be at the same place wasting things all over again. So again, as you kind of are building this stuff incrementally here, right? Um, I mean, that's got to be sort of a patience first a little bit, right? Kind of get your manufacturers on, you know, because you're going to want to do all the other things that you're leading to, right? Optimizations, you know, clear all the waste out, but you got to kind of start fundamentally first. Is that, I mean... No, absolutely correct. And I think this is also something that we have learned over the time. Uh, so number one thing, everybody wants to work with great suppliers. Right. Even during the COVID, all the great suppliers were completely full. Right. So the number one thing for us is to actually go and build a supply chain that works, yeah. that actually adds value to the customers. And <clears throat> even if it is a slow process, even if you have to, let's say, spend a couple of months on the suppliers, digitization, just doing, going through the training, investing some bit of money on uh, with them, but like the payoff is absolutely huge. Like once the supplier starts delivering, once the supply chain effectively supply chain becomes reliable, everybody wants to work with that supply chain. Mm-hmm. And uh, like now we go from a category by category. For example, we started with denims, but then we went on to basics. And in each category, we're trying to get a set of suppliers which are completely digitized, which are super reliable, and then trying to get the demand accordingly to those suppliers. Mm-hmm. And once we deliver an impeccable, impeccable job for our customers, we come back again, like they come back on their own. Right. Uh, and like for any other supply chain startup hearing us, it's very important for you to get your supply chain in order, get that reliability on, in order, even if that takes a lot more time so that you can actually go to your customer and confidently say that this is going to work for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and, and let me, let me again, kind of pull Abhishek back in here a little bit. So that's also part of the kind of globalized uh, role of supply chains, right? One of the things off the gun by being a supply chain startup is you are instantly a global platform, right? Because it is a global $100 trillion integrated supply chain, right? And to think of supply chains as being kind of disparate, different things, right? You know, well, that that doesn't really work anymore. You've got to think of the world as one big cohesive supply chain, and you're a piece of that connecting to that. So the question I have for you as you think about your platform is the platform technically is one of many to connect all of the pieces of the supply chain, right? So there's your value proposition of connecting the manufacturers, of course, right, to the demand signals, but the larger $100 trillion economy, you also have to think about connecting to, right? Your platform has to connect to the global supply chain in some way, shape, or form to make sure that you're even more accurate with demand signals and manufacturing. How do you view that, Abhishek, a little bit, right? Kind of how do you view the collaboration with other supply chain technologies is fundamental to your success as a business, right? Because it's it's no longer the world of, hey, I'm going to dominate this by myself, right? It's a collaborative world. And that's a different, that's a different thing than it was maybe 10 or 20 years ago, right? So how, how do you how do you view that integration and collaboration, you know, perspective, especially with the world supply chain of a sheep? Yeah, I think uh, supply chain is like a big, big word, and it actually not only constitutes Manufacturing it actually constitute uh, delivery, it constitute warehousing, it constitute uh, actually so many things which actually can impact uh, the entire cycle. Yeah. So what we actually uh, done it so far, and I think in future the plan is actually so we are partnered with some of that logistics company who are like mm-hmm. a tech tech logistic company. 
so that I'm thinking that can we optimize that the transit time, which mm-hmm. is I think the most priority for brands also. Mm-hmm. So for example, like if I'm getting a produce, something produced in Bangladesh and that needs to be reached to uh, US or in a LA port, it takes 30 days time, which is mm-hmm. like a huge waste. And there's so much uncertainty during that time also because of the COVID, the 30 days was some point of time, like 90 days also. Mm-hmm. So we actually partner with some of the uh, freight forwarders, some of the logistic provider who actually give a complete visibility on that trans, uh, on the log- on transit time, but mm-hmm. not, not only giving a visibility, but doing a, some kind of optimization also. The simple optimization like that for there's a quantity is less and brands need like a faster, they can do some small, short quantity to go live by, by doing by air, but rest can come on the container by ship. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. kind of optimization actually, we are already doing it. The other sets of optimization, which we are thinking it, how we can improve the warehousing part, which is not, we actually plan to do it later. At the end, as you mentioned, I think something as a startup founder, we have to keep patience and not, not try to do everything together. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if we were like a partnering with some uh, good warehousing partner, which can again optimize the inventory days or the lead time of the entire supply chain, that will be a big boon for brands as well as us. Right, right. And that's, okay, so you're touching on, and again, this is where logistics and shipping and, you know, again, the end user doesn't care, Paul Juan, that, you know, all those pieces need to seamlessly work together for them to get their t-shirt, right? They just care that their uh-huh. t-shirt shows up and it shows up on time or right, whatever the right. case may be, but right? But behind the scenes, like Abhishek is alluding to, you've got to connect to a whole bunch of other things to make this apply. Like, otherwise, you, you can't. The, way, the analogy I use for a lot of people is like air traffic controlling, right? If the oh, air yeah. traffic control system was, you know, United had their own system and American Airlines had their own system and Air Delhi had their own systems, you'd have air, you know, accidents all over the place. You need a comprehensive air traffic system that's one platform that everyone uses. Otherwise, it's never going to work. Well, the supply chain is no different and we have to think in those terms. So as, a, as, as someone who's a piece of that, you also have to be thinking about interoperating with all these other different supply chain solutions as a fundamental technological piece of your platform. So, I mean, how does that, how has that evolved for you or thought? I mean, obviously kind of refers to it, but from your perspective, Pawan, how do you, how do you think about that collaboration kind of moving forward with all the supply chain pieces you need to collaborate with? Right. So, I mean, if I only talk about our leg, the yeah. garmenting leg, yeah. the systems that we need to integrate with or the supply chains we need to integrate with our number one, just the back-end supply chain of procuring raw material, the fabrics, mm-hmm. the yarns. So unless you get those pieces in place in, uh, in the right time, there's no way you can actually get the manufacturing done in the right, in, uh, in the right time. Now, post that, like, so you have the supply chain of upstream supply chain of raw material, and the next is like, you need to get those products out on the ship and to the warehouse of our customers in real time. Sorry, in like, uh, in a timely manner. Yeah. So, um, so let's say, for example, the warehouse is in New Jersey. So you need to get the products out in New Jersey at the right time so that the customers can go to their sales or their seasons. Uh, I'll get the products live on the on their websites at the right time. I right. mean, a, a great example is, let's say, holiday shopping. I mean, if yeah. your products are not there in the warehouses before the holidays begin, you're never going to sell it. Like You better, like, you better throw them away. Yeah. So, and then at the same time, because the products are going to sell 
and you cannot always predict the accurate inventory so you can also you also would need replenishments you need to integrate what's selling the erps of your inventory along with the uh, the order management system on the front end to act to the supply chain so for example if i have if let's say walmart has procured 100000 pieces of this shirt from me and 100000 pieces are getting sold out let's say within 3 days itself they've sold 70000 of these pieces mm-hmm. now they need the replenishment otherwise they are going to go out of stock mm-hmm. but how do you in real time connect the data of that sales with the data on the supply chain based on what capacity is available the factory which factory has the right raw material ready so that they can quickly make those uh, shirts and ship them directly to walmart it's it's an i mean it's a tough problem but unless you do it it's just very hard to run a, an efficient supply chain right right totally but that's but i think that's also you know a key attribute especially as a startup now too and we kind of we're kind of coming full circle a little bit you know you guys are you know representing an evolution of even the indian startup world and community right with an india first versus you know global and, I, and that's amazing right because you guys are you guys are generationally inspiring the next leaders who are going to come out of your background you know you're you're you know out of india right and start focusing building there but then also you're a part of a supply chain evolution where again you're a piece of a larger supply chain so not only do you have to think about solving your supply chain you know problems very clearly and in this case it's demand signals and manufacturing transparency right and connecting those two but you have to be a part of a larger tapestry that's the 100 trillion dollar economy and so you have to think design wise startup wise i have to interoperate with a bunch of other technologies right to bring my end user constant you know evolved value propositions right and that's not the same as it used to be i mean kind of salesforce back in the day talked about interoperating with a bunch of other platforms but you still had that you know competitive mindset that i can't really share with other people that's not the same right. anymore you have to come at this thinking i'm going to interoperate with people i historically would have thought of as competition you might even be thinking about interoperating with sap to give better solutions you know what i mean So I I mean that's that's a different mindset I think a little bit today. Yeah absolutely and I think like I mean for example we're now uh, figuring out the first two platforms we want to integrate with uh, so all the ERPs that our customers yeah. the fashion brands use yep. so that they don't have to now start using two uh, one more platform which is fashion's as platform but all of their workflows can be directly integrated into their own systems at the same time some of our factories Uh, although most of our factories are using our own system for let's say quality control but as we get start getting into larger factories who are already using sap how do we build something on top of sap so right. that we use the data that comes from sap but at least make it more actionable in the real time and then connect it with the erp systems that are used by our customers as well totally. and it sounds complicated but uh, this well, is something is, that we have to do it is complicated in one sense pawan but that's, that's that's why you guys get paid the big bucks right you and abhishek exactly, are starting right. this thing to simplify it for people right i mean it is it is a complicated thing and i can say a 100 trillion dollar economy but that's easy to say it's massively complicated how it works right but but as a startup person right. as someone who's creating value you have to clear clarify that message simplify it down to the bite sized pieces you know like you said make it actionable for people to understand all you mask the complexity by providing simplicity 
right? Um, and that's part of the technology and the platform that you guys are trying to do. So let me, let me, and we're kind of winding down and these things happen. And, and it's just like, I mean, 60 minutes, I sometimes wonder is just not even close to enough time. But I start looking <laughs> at the clocks here because they just go by like that. But obviously, yeah. I'm going to kind of close things out a little bit here and start looking forward. But you know, circularity is something we haven't talked a lot about. And in the fashion world and connective, and because uh, I think Pawan, I think was alluding to it earlier, but you know, knowing where the raw materials are coming from is the sort of going after virgin materials versus non-virgin materials. And circularity is becoming a big, big, big deal, right? So the question, Abhishek, is, is you're kind of looking forward a little bit into the world of circularity and how that's going to be integrated into the supply chain of the future. Because it's, it's circularity is not a nice, you know, as I like to put it, it's actually a profitable first decision when I embrace circularity. It's not an environmentally led decision. You know, even though it's environmentally, it's freaking awesome. Don't get me wrong. But if I embrace circularity, I actually can, as an enterprise, reduce or improve my margins and reduce my risk because I've introduced a new area of supply through circular materials that's more abundant, is actually conceivably not prone to weather and weird shipping things that can happen with raw materials as you can happen or war-torn or you know, geopolitical strife or whatever it is. But by actually tapping into circular, circularly generated material, I actually de-risk my supply chain to some extent. So Abhishek, to you, how do you, how are you viewing, because circularity is a big deal right now, right? People are talking about all sorts of other environmental things, but how does circularity specifically, how do you even see that playing out with what you guys are doing with your platform today? Yeah, I think the first set of the things which actually we have seen it, the people have already done it or trying to do in terms of circularity is using a recycled yarn or recycled fabric, which is very much like a, not a version one, but I think which I think already produced or can be produced, can be reproduced or reused it. Sure. That is, I think, something uh, we as a as a supply chain company definitely get a visibility uh, of the supplier, like what all the suppliers are doing recyclable product. Mm-hmm. And if the brands are looking for a circularity, they actually can reach out, or we can actually help us help them to reach out those uh, those supplier, those manufacturer, both in terms of raw material or the final manufacturing also. Mm-hmm. The second thing which really we got very excited, then we really want to try. Want to build, want to build it out in future is basically build the f- circularity on a final garment which is produced by fashion czar. Mm-hmm. For example, if uh, one shirt is getting produced over this, the shirt if I'm wearing, we can think of or we can think of putting a one QR code. And when if suppose if there are two instances can happen with this shirt, whether it is going to sell with some uh, consumer and consumer like me, and I discard after wearing some of after wearing few more times. I can go to the brand again and say that this is the product which I got it. This is mm-hmm. the QR code. And you have an entire composition of this uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, shirt. And you can reuse the materials, reuse the trims, reuse the uh, labels, if uh, whatever you can actually reuse it. The second right. thing, if, if second thing if it's, that is not sold and it's like a dead stock inventory for the brand, in case if that product is uh, there lies with the brand, then again, brand can reuse some components and make a some circularity around that also. Right, so that is right. something we can actually drive using our supply chain uh, innovation. Interesting. Well, that's so. And I'm going to come back to Pawan with a very similar question because, you know, as I 
like to put in my head, and I think at the system level, the input into the 100 gigatons of stuff is the raw materials that we pull out of the ground, of which some of that's going to be fabrics and materials that you guys source. That's the virgin materials. But now there's this new category of non-virgin materials or circular materials, and Abhishek is kind of alluding to it. And you guys already have, I mean, again, you're, you potentially are the connective tissue with your platform to connect to this new kind of supply inventory of not, you know, circular materials, right? Um, which is super exciting. Like you literally, now you're adding value back to the manufacturer saying, not only do I have your primary, you have your primary source of raw materials, which we're trying to kind of, you know, uh, have you slow down the consumption of, we're going to bring back to you now some of the circular materials that we're just beginning to discover, tag, and keep track of in the supply chain. So, you know, talk to that a little bit. That, that, that sounds really exciting. It is. I mean, it is. And uh, like some of the challenges, so it's not that the technology is not there to do right. it. The right. technology is there. I mean, number one challenge is it's obviously expensive, but I think that can be solved with scale yep. uh, as more and more people demand. For example, we've seen a big crash in the price of the recycled polyester. Yes. Uh, the polyester threads or the polyester fabric that is made from recycled pet bottles. And I think, which is great. Uh, I think the challenge is identifying what the material the cloth is made of. Yes. Uh, because you can't have two different types of materials actually going into the same recycling plant or the recycling uh, process. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge is that, like, for example, I'm wearing this shirt. Like, how do I get to know what is what went into this shirt? Right. Yes, there could be a small label there which says something, uh, but like that label might fall off or it get, gets broken in the process. So I think some of these things can be solved. Uh, some people have tried to, and they have demonstrated that by using something like an RFID in the pro product itself, they can actually figure out the entire journey of this product, what went into it, what exactly is the fabric made of. Uh, and by having the scale that Fashionza has, in maybe in a couple of years, we can actually have like a billion garments every mm -hmm. year being produced with these RFIDs mm -hmm. uh, in place. And if we can do that, then we actually completely solve the problem of figuring out what is this product made of, which recycling plant or factory it needs to be uh, routed to so that it can come back in a form which is actually as good as the virgin material itself. And so, I was, and, and, and again, get my head spinning here, but now, now, now you've got almost on the back end, right? The connective tissue, it's in a way we're talking about recycling facilities, but in a way they're kind of circular manufacturing facilities, right? They're, 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 they're reusing, they're breaking down the materials so that they can be pumped back into the supply chain, right? But it's just another, it's the back end manufacturing or the disassembly, right? Of the materials back to their raw form or circular form, whatever you want to call that. That's kind of an emerging trend right now. Right? Are you seeing those things kind of pop up? Are things in India like are people are innovators like yourself? Like you guys can't do everything, <laughs> right? So and there's so much to do. I but know. my God, like if I'm an incubator and I'm hearing you right now, I'm going, well, gosh, should I be setting up a recycling circular manufacturing facility to connect to Palwan and Abhishek's platform so that I could become the sole, you know, recipient of all these materials? you know, redo them and make them circular and then pump them back into the manufacturers. I mean, are you beginning to see that kind of emerge? Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of these hubs in India yeah. uh, are already speaking a lot about like how do how do they recycle the yarn and actually right. get certified 
recycled cotton or recycled polyester. Uh, and right now it commands a premium because the brands can then sell it as with a value added service that okay, this is uh, this is a recycled uh, polyester and recycle. Like for example, Nike does that a lot. I mean, yeah. a lot of their sneakers nowadays come from recycled plastic. Yep, which is great. I mean, like totally. uh, I mean, I saw it recently in the US that they have almost a bin where you can put in sneakers from any sort of brand. Like it's not just Nike right. sneakers that they're asking for, but this is already happening yep. uh, because the customers care about it. Like the customers yep. in the US, customers in the Europe have started caring about it. I would not say it's a mass trend yet, but I think whoever gets onto that trend quickly, early, is definitely going to make a lot more value for themselves. Yep, yep. I, I mean, it's in, for me, I guess, you know, another way to think about it is I look at the displacement coming down the road in the next 10 or 20 years with 3D printing, right? Absolutely. Long ways away, but it's the, same, it's the same idea, right? If I take a bunch of raw material, turn it into a powder, print it into something, I use that thing. And then when I'm done with that thing, I just convert it back to its powder and reprint it again. That's essentially Great. what we're trying to do across the entire supply chain, right? Um, 3D printing is still a couple decades away. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to be doing a proxy for the back-end manufacturing or the circular manufacturing, right? And we're probably coming up with, but you, you're already alluding to it. Anyways, I can keep going because I'm looking at the clock here and I got to stop myself. Otherwise, otherwise, I'll get too excited. So obviously... Let me, let me just ask you to close out a little bit here. Just, you know, some parting thoughts. What, what's coming up for you guys, you in particular, the company, anything that's just coming up this quarter, kind of as, you know, the, 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 the second half of 2022 that's exciting. You guys just closed around, which is super exciting. Congratulations, by the way, and all that stuff. Uh, but clearly things are going like, what, what's happening, Abhishek? What Where can people find you? What are you going to be tu tuning into for the second half of the year? Uh, I think, uh, so we started uh, as an Indian entrepreneur, we definitely started with an Indian clients and Indian uh, supply. Now we are expanding and becoming a global. I think you perfectly mentioned the supply chain is a big thing and we can actually tap into that hundred trillion dollar kind of industry uh, theoretically. So I think, but one thing we are focusing upon, like we build a good supply chain base, good technology there. Now we are focusing more into build or service the global brand or global demand. So the focus for now the company is actually uh, have a good presence in terms of the brand side or demand side in US. So we already have a setup office there. Uh, we have a team there. We and me and Bhavan also spent some time there. And idea to actually actually serve the biggest hub of the brand, which is the US. Nice, nice, awesome, awesome. And well, Paul, one very similar question. I mean, you know, you, you know, close out here. You know, you got great stuff kind of in front of you, but you know, where, where are you guys going to spend it? It sounds like, you know, obviously you talked about kind of the local stuff, what you're doing, but what, what do you see coming up the second half of this year, even going into 2023? What's, what's, what's happening? Yeah, I think Abhishek took the meat of it, uh, that we are expanding in the U.S., we're hiring there, we're setting up a great team. Uh, that's obviously the top of the thing, but I think at the same time, we're also expanding our supply chains, going deeper into our suppliers, really tracking exactly how much value we are adding to their lives, how much we are helping them expand their facilities, expand their, uh, make more money or expand employment. I think these are the, some of the things that we are going to track. And uh, I mean, eventually like the goal for us in the next 12 months is to get our supply, absolute supply ESG compliant. And I think the first six months are going to be the stepping stone towards really putting in the infrastructure in place to track some of these things. Nice, nice. Well, listen, I, you know, 
can't thank both of you enough. Uh, really a pleasure. You know, congratulations on all the success both of you have had, right? It's a great origin story. And you guys are inspiring the next generation of leaders, you know, within India and startup people, which is really awesome to see. And you're also a part of, you know, the supply chain technology evolution. And I think you touched on a couple things here, especially with the circular kind of backend connective tissue, right? That that you guys are in the middle of, which is really cool. So congratulations, all the success. Thank you guys for spending time here today. It was really a lot of fun. Thank you very much. It was a really good pleasure to speak with you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about this episode or topics on supply chain you'd like us to cover, you can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Requis allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud while collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at requis.com.